Welcome back to the Boneyard Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jared Schaffin, along with Artemis Brower. Uh, we're coming to you this week with episode 29. Episode 29 is going to be a little bit different. It's going to sound a little bit different. We're recording differently. Um, Artie, I've got some big news for, for Pirate Nation. Your boy. Go ahead. Go ahead and tell him. Your boy has started a, started a new job. So, uh, so, uh, so, uh, yeah, we, we usually record early in the morning on like Friday mornings, but, but now we are recording at 1145 on Thursday night. Uh, (laughs) yeah, we've, uh, we, we've been all over the place with this recording stuff, man. I mean, we've done it on Thursdays, Wednesdays, Sundays, Fridays, mornings, nights. We start, we started out on Sunday, like Sunday afternoon now. Then we moved to Friday morning. Now we're midnight on midnight on a Thursday. Uh, you, can't, you can't beat it, but you got to give, <laughs> pe- give the people what they want, man. You got it. You got to give the people what they want. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. So yeah, if the audio sounds a little bit different, we promise we're we're gonna get back in the studio together eventually. We got to figure out some logistics uh, on how that's gonna work. But um, for right now, this episode. We're gonna do it. We're we're recording via Zoom, um, so we might sound a little bit different than than usual. But uh, we hope we hope that you'll bear with us through this podcast. We, I, I mean, I'm excited about this podcast already. I, I think um, I, I think that we've got a good thing going. After last week, we had a huge episode last week. So if you haven't gone back and listened to that one, do yourself a favor and go back and listen to our boy, friend of the podcast, Shane Carden, and uh, some guy named Mike Golick. Um, Some guy named Mike Golick, yeah. Artie, look, I, look, I, 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 I will say, I, I am so proud of us. I am so proud of what we've done with this podcast. I mean, we've been doing this since March. I did not think we were going to be this big by, you know, October. It's October first, going in, going into October second. Uh, so this has just been phenomenal, man. And let's 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 keep it going, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, like the, the. So I went to the game on Saturday and I was in the press box and I had several people come up and this is kind of one of those things where you have your peers coming up and talking to you and, and saying, Hey, like we we see what you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. We, I mean, the only really person in the media that we talk to really and hang out with is is Steven Igo. I didn't even talk to Igo in the press box. He was down at the 50 yard line front and center. And I was yeah, Igo's like, has got premier seating. <laughs> yeah, they, they had the Boneyard podcast in the back and like off to the side. <laughs> I, I think we were behind the Bladen Journal or something. I don't know. Hey, look, but, uh, <laughs> look, we're, we're 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 getting there, man. We're getting we're, there. Baby steps, baby, baby steps. But but to see that other other media outlets are coming up and saying, "Hey, we see what y'all are doing. Y'all are doing some big things." I mean, that that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who else I saw while I was in Greenville? I saw. A, Who's One that? of our guests from last week, play-by-play voice of the Pirates, the voice of Pirate Nation, Jeff Charles. Wow. I, re- I ran into him at a Wal- at Walgreens down on uh on I believe it was Tenth Street. So uh, that yeah. that that was interesting. I just happened to run into Jeff Charles, the same guy we had on the podcast last week. But I say that because <laughs> the, I, I want to kind of I want to tell everybody who we have on this week. We have, uh, I mean, the Georgia State play-by-play voice. Voice of Georgia State. Uh, he's been with been with the Panthers for 38 years. This is his 11th season calling Georgia State football. So, I mean, he's been calling them since they started. Uh, our, our guest this week is going to be Dave Cohen. 
uh, once again from Georgia State. Uh, I, I hope y'all will. I hope y'all like that. I mean, this is going to be the first time we've really ever had somebody on from another an, another school um, mm. and to really give a breakdown. And I, I mean, we had a conversation with them yesterday, and I, I thought that conversation went very smoothly. And I, we, yeah, we had some technical difficulties. <laughs> I was just about to say we had some technical difficulties, but it it worked out. And he was he was a sport man. I mean, he he gave us all the time in the world, and the interview went really well. Uh, when you know when it's all said and done, so I was really uh, happy to talk to him and sit down with him and and pick his brain a little bit on the game this weekend. Yeah, I mean, let me put it into perspective. We talked to this man for forty seven minutes, and because <laughs> yeah. because we basically had to record the the interview twice. Um, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we we we've been putting some. We've been putting some work into into the podcast this week, even though uh, we're not meeting in person. Um, but mm-hmm. already looking looking ahead, we're we've got a game this weekend, week two for week. ECU, going Absolutely. down going down to Atlanta, hot Atlanta. Uh, for those Hotland. that for those that uh, aren't from the great city of Atlanta, a town baby, uh, <laughs> they th- those people call it hot Atlanta. So, um, Artie. Yeah. There's there's going to be a lot of hot offense in Atlanta. Uh, look, looking at look last week we talked about the high powered offense at UCF and ECU. I mean Georgia State, man, they they've got another high powered offense. They're not mm. as they're they're not gonna they're not gonna beat you down like UCF did to us last week, but they are yeah. gonna, they are a threat. Yeah, no, I mean they 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 absolutely are. They look the best offense that we're going to see all year is UCF. And so we've already played the best offense. Honestly, potentially we played the best team that we're going to see and play all year. And so we've gotten it out the way. No, we didn't have a great performance and it wasn't what we wanted to see from our pirates, but we've gotten that out the way. We've kind of gotten some experience under our belt. We've got those jitters and those bugs in our stomachs out. Um, But Georgia state is no scrub. All right. This is a team that, was a missed field goal away from going into overtime with Louisiana Lafayette, and I think had they gone to overtime, well, they, they would were have won. They lost oh, in oh, overtime. They lost in overtime. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So again, that that further proves my point just how well Georgia State is because Louisiana is still ranked. I think they're 18th or 19th in the country mm-hmm. right now. So they're still a very good team. We cannot come out and be complacent against. Uh, Georgia State offense cannot start slow that's that was my 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 big thing coming from last week going into this week the offense cannot start slow we have to punch them in the mouth and we punched UCF in the mouth on that first drive last weekend but we couldn't sustain offense after that and so the goal is to not only be able to punch them in the mouth early but punch them in the mouth often because our defense we, we we can't put our defense in a situation where they have to play keep up or they have to try to protect us or try to keep us in the game. We have a defense right now that is still in building mode. And so our offense has to take a little bit more of the initiative to, you know, take, take the reins, get up on a team. You know, this is a game that we should win. I'm not taking anything, anything away from Georgia state, but this is a game that ECU should win. And this is a game where we should score points. We shouldn't score anything less than 28. And that's just my personal opinion. So we, yeah. we've got to score quickly and often. I, I will say we're talking about the offenses, though, I want to I want to break down Georgia State's offense a little bit. They're, I mean, they're led by a redshirt freshman at quarterback and dual threat uh, quarterback Cornelius Brown. Uh, I mean, yep. he, he's not he's not going to kill you with his arm, 
Um, and I, I think our secondary is improved enough to, to hold him at bay and, and cover their receivers. But he can beat you with his legs, and so, so can many other guys on that Georgia State offense. And, and that, that's the one thing that, looking at it, a, a young defense, that, that's the one thing that probably concerns me the most is that they can – that Georgia State might be able to beat us with their legs. And, I mean, UCF didn't, didn't have – they had some runs last week, but, but they were never uh, – I mean, they, were, they could never really get the run game going. Um, right, but but that was also the case when they played. Uh, who who did UCF play week one? They played uh, Georgia Tech. They 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 had the same problem against Georgia Tech. They couldn't really get the run down. But mm-hmm. I'm hoping that last week we saw some. We we saw ECU stop up the gaps a little bit and and stop that running game and and not allow the big play on the ground because that over the years that's what's killed ECU. Over the past two or three years, you have a big run or two or three big runs for 50, 60 yards to the house, and, and then you're down two touchdowns really quickly. Um, ECU can't yeah. let that happen against Georgia State. They've got a lot of guys that can do it. Um, Destin Coates is a bad man, man. Uh, and he, he can really burn ECU if they don't stop those gaps and close those gaps. Yeah, I mean, and I was just going to bring that up for for Georgia State. It's really a two-headed monster in Destin Coates and Cornelius Brown, who is their redshirt freshman uh, starting quarterback. If, you know, stopping those two guys might not be a priority, but slowing those guys down definitely has to be a priority for our defense. We can't let Destin run all over the field. You know, we've got to be able to make him earn it. A, a very, you know, uplifting thing that I saw from last week is like, yes, UCF had, I, I think, close to 600, 600, if not over 600 yards off. They had over 600 yards. Yep. Points. Yeah, I think they had like 623 or something like that. Um, but with that being said, we kind of made them earn all 623. It wasn't, it wasn't like UCF was getting big plays after big plays after big play. They were methodically trying to drive down the field on our defense. And from the outside looking in, it looks very bad. It's like, well, they're still scoring points. But being the football mind and being the football people that we are, you can see that there are progresses made in that defense. They have made a, a, a huge jump as far as we're not just going to give it to you. You have to earn it. And so that's why this week going up against Georgia State, that, that two-headed monster in their, in their running back and their quarterback, uh, we've got to make them earn every single thing on that field on Saturday. Yeah, and I the, the one thing that, I mean, we're about to throw it to the interview with Dave Cohen, but the one thing I'll say about that about the UCF game with the 600 – I don't know, it was like 630-something yards um, against – excuse me. They, the, the thing with UCF that in that game, that first drive, I mean, yeah, it was a 75-yard drive, but they, they went down the – they had to do 100 yards. They had to go 100 yards to score a touchdown, and they did it. And they did it very quickly. They did it, I believe, in under – uh, two minutes and 45 seconds. I, I, I'm not exactly sure on the exact time of drive, but to have, I mean, five false starts and still score a touchdown in less than two, two minutes and 45 seconds. I mean, that that's, that's impressive. Um, and, and I don't, like you said earlier, I don't think you see another offense quite that good. Um, but already no. let, let's, uh, let, let's go ahead and send it over to our interview with Dave Cohen uh, once again, he's the play-by-play voice of the Georgia State Panthers. He's been calling Georgia State football for 11 years, so since they started uh, playing football in Atlanta. Um, so without further ado, here's our, here's our interview with Dave Cohen. 
this week's guest on the Boneyard Podcast. He's uh, He's been the play-by-play voice for Georgia State basketball and baseball for the last 38 years. He's going into his 11th season, or he's in his 11th season calling It's going pretty good. For Thanks Georgia for State having Panthers me on, guys. Looking team. forward to the game this he's week with East Carolina Dave coming into Welcome Atlanta. to the Boneyard Podcast, Dave. How's it going? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the pleasure is all ours. Uh, thank, thank you again for joining us. So, uh, Dave, I, I, I want to just jump right into it. We we saw that Georgia State, they I mean, they had to cancel or postpone their game last week due to false Well, I was at practice on, on last the, Friday fully expecting that we would be uh, uh, heading to Charlotte and about, playing that football game. That the radio about. crew, because of COVID, was going to travel separately. Uh, up by 85 to Charlotte. Um, and then later that afternoon, about, uh, you know, mid-afternoon, I got an email saying that, um, you know, there was a COVID situation. There were a few uh, positive tests and that uh, the Georgia State and Charlotte game was going to be postponed. Um, and that really was uh, the last I'd, I kind of heard about it for a little while. I did talk to our sports information person just to confirm uh, that we were not going to Charlotte. And uh, it, it was later in the weekend that it uh, kind of broke that they were false positives. I think it was four student athletes and one assistant coach from what I had read in uh, the local Atlanta paper. And uh, so whether or not they reschedule that game, I'm not 100% sure. It, I think it's a four-game series, uh, two in Atlanta, two is Charlotte, uh, in Charlotte with the 49ers. So if they're not able to reschedule it for whatever reason this year, my guess is, and I'm not 100% sure about this, they will just backlog it and, uh, you know, push the game out to, uh, to another season here. Uh, because, again, we, as of right now, we have three more games with them as part of the four-game series. So I'm just assuming that we'll play it, but it might, if it's not this year, it'll be another year. Got you, got you. Now, Dave, looking at the game this weekend, What's your quick view of how Georgia State matches up with ECU, um, you know, one on offense and then on, on defense the other? Well, for Georgia State, we had two question marks, at least in my mind, coming in on the offensive side of the football. Uh, that was our quarterback situation because Dan Ellington, who a lot of fans got to know when we beat Tennessee in Knoxville last year to open up the season, you know, he was a senior last year. Uh, Coach Sean Elliott, uh, in a wise move, hired him as an assistant coach. And uh, so he is still in the locker room and still on the sideline, although just not in between the white lines, but still a heavy influence uh, on the offensive side of the football for Georgia State. But our quarterbacks are young. Cornelius Brown is a redshirt freshman out of Birmingham, Alabama. I thought he had a pretty good game uh, in the loss to Louisiana Lafayette. 56% completion rate, 22 of 39, a touchdown and interception. He can run with the football. He's tall and lanky at 6'5", but had a rushing touchdown, rushing for just under 60 yards in that game. And his backup is a true freshman, Gatorade uh, Player of the Year uh, from Inman, South Carolina, McKaylee Colasurdo. Uh, who has obviously not gotten into a game yet. Behind him is uh, Kirsten Harvey, a true sophomore, uh, walk on a year ago from America, Georgia. Uh, again, the other question mark we had with regards to running the football, uh, Trey Barnett, who was our number one ball carrier last year, led the Sunbelt Conference in rushing yards. He was a senior. So it's come down to Destin Coates as the number one ball carrier for Georgia State. And, uh, you know, we'll see Tucker Gregg and Marcus Carroll and maybe one or two others. Uh, extremely experienced along the offensive line. 
We only lost one, and that was Hunter Atkinson, the left tackle, who spent a little time in the Atlanta Falcons rookie camp. Uh, we're extremely uh, experienced and athletic at, at receiver and tight end. So we can score points. You know, last year we averaged 31 points a game. But on the other side of the coin, the problem was some weekends we gave up an average of 36. We said that number has got to come down. So we saw already in our first game an overtime loss to the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana. We scored 31 and gave up 34 in overtime. So we, you know, defensively, we got to bring that number down. I got a chance to watch a little bit of East Carolina at the University of Central Florida last Saturday because it turned out to be an, uh, an open an open date for me. Um, and so, you know, yeah. it looked like, you know, East Carolina gave up a lot of yards, a lot of yards on the ground and in the air, a little over 630 if, I'm, if my number uh, is correct. Um, so, you know, does that bode well for Georgia State? We'll see. Uh, Georgia State is not the University of Central Florida. And, uh, you know, I'll be interested to see uh, how East Carolina bounces back from that ball game uh, against Georgia State, like I said, as opposed to what they were facing in the top 20 team in the, in the Golden Knights. Yeah, and Dave, can you – you, you talked a little bit about the the keys to or the the opportunities that they, they have. Can you talk about a, a key to getting that offense? Well, going again, I mean, our number one ball carrier that, last week, and offense you know, really he saw time last year. It's not like he's a freshman. Uh, Destin Coates uh, had 34 carries, 150 yards, which is a career high for him. One touchdown, average 4.4 yards. Uh, not only are we a little on the small side, but we're fast. Uh, you know, Coates, uh, Tucker, Greg, Marcus Carroll might be the fastest of the running backs. Um, you know, the ability to just mix it up, you know, uh, as far as the quarterback goes, Cornelius Brown is not Dan Ellington. Uh, last uh, two weeks ago, that start against Louisiana Lafayette, that was his first career start. Again, he had good numbers and it was a, what I call a woulda, coulda, shoulda ball game. We could have won it. Uh, some people say we should have won it. But, you know, Louisiana Lafayette is a very, very good football team. They've won 11-11, uh, and they're 3-0 and so far this year after their win over Georgia Southern. So uh, taking nothing away from Louisiana. But Georgia State gave them a good run for their money, led most of the ball game, uh, and they did it, uh, again, with some what we'll call somewhat inexperienced players at key positions. Now, now, Dave, ECU is, is kind of known for having an explosive offense at times. What would you say is the keys defensively uh, to kind of stop that offense and, and to get a win and not allow the, the points that you well, guys are allowed? Well, they're what they call, what I call the interrupters. Uh, those are the guys that are going to get in the backfield and, uh, you know, make it a little bit more difficult, you know, for your quarterback. Uh, is is Ollers, uh, Holton Ehlers or Ollers. Uh, the junior right there in Greenville. Uh, it's going to be guys like Dante Wilson, senior nose guard out of Jefferson, Georgia, our two defensive ends, Hardrick Willis and Jeffrey Clark, and then a guy like Victor Hayward coming in and Jordan Strong, who had a sack against Louisiana, coming in from the outside. Uh, you know, it's going to take not letting East Carolina, uh, and, and UCF did a good job of it, but not letting uh, Ehlers get into any sort of a rhythm. Uh, and also keeping 
uh, of keeping those running backs in check. Uh, guys like Hayden and Penix. Um, you know, so it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be really getting some pressure, getting him out of the pocket, forcing him to use those legs. He looked like a pretty big dude. Uh, the quarterback did, so you know I, I didn't see a whole lot of speed there per se. I saw a lot of you know size and strength, uh, but you know it's going to come down to the interrupters, as I say, and, that, and that's true for really every football game, depending on who you're playing. Yeah, and Dave, can you can you talk uh, to me a little bit? Really you talked about the defensive lineman. Can you talk um, to me a little bit? And we got some about new faces the back there for Georgia State. Um, you know, guys like Quavian White and Jalen Jones and Tyler Gore at the cornerback position. Those guys are pretty experienced. Quavian had a pretty good game against Louisiana Lafayette with an interception. Uh, but a couple of new names and new faces that have come in uh, since the end of last year been impact players right now the leading tackler for georgia state is the red shirt freshman out of west palm beach florida antavius lane 5'9, 180 um he was again it was a red shirt last year uh, he's out of west palm beach had nine tackles in the loss to louisiana lafayette and the other new face uh that has cracked the starting lineup is a transfer from the university of virginia at safety and that's chris moore he's out of ashburn virginia six feet 210 uh, he's got experience behind him and Chris Bacon and Evan Jones. Uh, so, you know, those two impact players so far, Antavius Lane and Chris Moore, have been welcomed additions to the secondary. Otherwise, the corners all have experience. Got you. And then uh, along with that, can you, can well, you, you know, primarily they have different names that, for that it. It's uh, uh, is it a hybrid three-four? Uh, is it a hybrid four-three? The two defensive ends and the nose guard, and then you get your uh, outside rush guys. Some guys call it a bandit. Some guys call it a wolf. Some guys call it a dog. I mean, you know, it's different names for different programs. Uh, Victor Hayward had an interception last week from the outside. Jordan Strawn, the other side, had a sack. Uh, and then in the middle, very experienced at the in inside linebacker position, um, Blake Carroll is a junior. Our leading tackler starts at inside linebacker, Trey John Stevens McQueen, who's the Charlotte, North Carolina kid. Uh, the guys backing them up, them up Jordan Bencial, Kyle Wright, Zach Dixon, all guys that have starts uh, under their belt, all guys that played significant minutes last year. So, again, if you look at every position defensively, We've got experience. Georgia State has experience on defense. Again, it's just keeping that number down. So, as I was telling somebody already this year, we missed our first two games. Murray State should have been our opener in Atlanta, and then week two should have been at Alabama. Um, both of those games were canceled. The Ohio Valley did not play. The SEC decided to play non-conference games. So we got to open up with one of the two best teams in the Sun Belt Conference, the Raging Cajun, again, of Louisiana, 34-31 overtime loss. Um, again, at the end of the day, uh, if we're going to ask our offense to have to score 35 to 40 points first Saturday in a football game, can they do that? I don't know. They did it in week one. They probably would have done it against Murray State. Uh, I felt really good about the game in Charlotte. And with East Carolina, I don't know because I've only seen the one game. But again, defensively, all those guys have 
just talked about are going to have to step up and play big. Uh, cannot allow an average of 35, 36 points a game and expect you know, you know, to win you know, two-thirds or more of your football games, especially in the, in the Sunbelt Conference. And I know you guys are the American Athletic, which is one step up the ladder. But the Sunbelt is a pretty good football team uh, with Louisiana and Appalachian State and Arkansas State. Uh, every week, just like it is for East Carolina, every week it's about it. Now, now, Dave, if you had to give one X factor, I'd say on on Georgia State's football team, who would that X factor be? Um, I felt last week our number one receiver, Cornelius McCoy, only had two catches. Sam Pinkney, another one of our top receivers, had four catches. Uh, Aubrey Payne did not have a catch that I can remember unless he had one, and Roger Carter had a couple of the touchdowns. Uh, as well as Cornelius Brown was able to move the ball around the field. Uh, I would Cornelius McCoy, so you would have Cornelius throwing to Cornelius Brown to McCoy. Targeted a little bit more as our number one receiver. And Dave, kind of going off that, who who would you say is maybe an underrated player? Someone that uh, may come out of out of well, nowhere. One of the receivers on, that I always Saturday like to watch in practice because I tell people I've never uh, seen him drop a football. Beat. He was originally a walk-on, but has since earned a scholarship. That's the 5'7 redshirt freshman uh, from Columbus, Georgia, Terrence Dixon. Uh, I really like him. Uh, got a lot of speed, was injured at the end of last year. Uh, but I think he could be an X factor uh, with regards to uh, the offensive uh, side of things. Everybody obviously looking at Carter and Payne and McCoy and Pinckney can kind of sneak in there and make some, thing ha- make some things happen. And again, I'm not saying that he's never dropped the football, but he's one of those guys when you watch him a lot in practice, he just always seems to be around the ball and never seems to drop it. Coaches love guys like that. And um, you know, he was he was getting off to such a good start last year when the injury struck. You know, it took him uh, throughout the summer to kind of, you know, for the rest of the season last year through the summer to rehab. He's back, he's fully healthy, and uh, I'm hoping that he can be an X factor for, uh, for us on offense as well. Yeah, and I, I want I wanted to kind of go back to something we talked touched about later or talked about earlier. Um, I, I want to talk about the the COVID. I, I want to know a little bit more about um, kind of kind of what the team's been doing. Um, again, I'm not inside uh, their bubbles because week, I'm not at practice every single day. The, um, uh, you know, when our first two games were canceled, uh, it was supposed to be September 3 against Murray State and September 12 against Alabama. Uh, if I remember correctly, they did take an extra week off uh, from being out in the field and really just kind of focused on uh, in the, uh, you know, in the weight room, so on and so forth. But as far as any sort of breakouts, not anything that I was aware of. Okay. And 
do you have any idea of how that layoff last week, um, coming off of a tough um, loss against the ranked I'm opponent? I'm not sure that it did. Uh, Again, I've been in practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Physically? Uh, I've not seen any sign of it in uh, from my view, sitting in the stands watching them. Uh, you know, they're, they're a very upbeat bunch anyway. You know, it's a young football program. This is only the 11th season of Georgia State football. And, um, you know, they're coming off their third bowl appearance in the last five years. So there's a little bit of, you know, um, skipping their step uh, with regards to where the program was, where it is, and where it's headed. You know, uh, they're excited to be in the stadium, Center Park Credit Union Stadium, which for – uh, East Carolina fans is the former Turner Field and prior to that Olympic Stadium here in Atlanta. Georgia State's done a fantastic job converting it to a football facility. Um, so I haven't noticed that, you know, not playing last week has had any, you know, effect uh, continuing into this week of practice. Everybody seems upbeat. Everybody seems excited to be playing, be playing football at all, to be, to be honest with you. Because uh, you go back here in the summer, we weren't sure – if yep. we were going to be playing at all. So you know, whether it's Charlotte, whether it's East Carolina, whether it's Louisiana or Alabama, I honestly think everybody's just happy to be on the field uh, and playing football. Now, now I'm just going to say, and, and Dave, you kind of touched on this, Was um, yeah, and I know the program is still go ahead, young. Go ahead, Artie. Uh, was there any plan for Georgia State to, to break ground on their own football stadium, or was using old Turner Field uh, what you guys want to you know, go a with? question. I was just talking about that with someone the other day. About We were talking about uh, facilities, professional and collegiate, in, in the Atlanta market right now. Uh, that, that is the $64,000 question. Um, you know, we all do, you know, we, when we started football, we played in the Georgia Dome with the Atlanta Falcons. You know, we'd be there on Saturday, they'd be there on Sunday if, if both teams were at home. Uh, then the Atlanta Braves, under the cover of darkness, and really with no publicity about it at all, agreed to move and build a new stadium just across the county line in Cobb County in Marietta. And Lo and behold, Georgia State ends up getting the opportunity to purchase Turner Field. Georgia State jumps on that opportunity, and they convert it into a football stadium. My, my, my inner question for me, and others have always been, with the Falcons tearing down the Georgia Dome and moving into the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is a huge, monstrous facility like the Superdome in New Orleans, if Kind of going off that, you touched a little bit about the fan base for Georgia State. Uh, 
last week ECU played in front of 350 people, um, not including the press and, and the staff that were on site. Um, but this week, there's going to be fans at the game. There, there's going to be um, a fan base of Georgia State, and I know that there's going to be a traveling fan base of East Carolina Pirate fans uh, coming down to Atlanta making that trek. Um, well, obviously, well, it's a lot quieter. Like Louisiana the did say uh, they had a number of fans in um, red that were sitting in the visiting stand. You know, uh, Center Park Credit Union Stadium, the old Georgia State Stadium, the old Turner Field, uh, restructured for football, holds about 25,000. Uh, when we've had 25,000 in there, it's been a hundred. Uh, when uh, I'm going to say there was maybe a thousand people there, if that. Uh, against Louisiana two weeks ago. It's not, there really wasn't much of an atmosphere, but you can look out and see fans the stadium, you know, where, as most colleges are, that there's enough room in the stadium where you can safely go to the fans on both sides. Um, if you remember Turner Field, then you remember what the seating the capacity and the seating you know, structure like. But that's certainly a lot different than having you know, a really good crowd in the stadium uh, as opposed to having, I don't know, 750 to 1,000 fans. I mean, whatever it was, it wasn't near what we normally have. And, you know, we're in a situation being what we'll call a five program in a major market, a top ten market in the country. You know, we got University of Georgia an hour and a half away. We got Georgia Tech about five miles away. You know, we've got the Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta United. Um, when it comes to the sports hierarchy in this city, you know, we fight for attention uh, amongst the pro and the SEC and the agency. Uh, and I'm sure East Carolina, in its own way, found that as well with regards to the other college programs that, that surround us. Um, so we're always in that situation where we're fighting to be noticed. number out can, there. Can I'm not sure us, what the exact you know percentage many, uh, is. Uh, was coming down from East Carolina could, could go to georgiastatesports.com and I think it's posted there, but I'm not sure exactly what the percentage is, but it's not near, obviously, what it would normally be under non-virus situa you know, situation. No, that's, that's all I had. Well, Dave, that, that's all the questions I have already. Do you have any more questions? Dave, we wanted to thank you again for uh, for joining us on the Boneyard Podcast. We got I know done. we've had a uh, we've had. I appreciate uh, it. Enjoyed it. Always enjoyed this, talking college this thing football. Done, and, but uh, uh, again, looking forward to having the Pirates of East we, we Carolina in here on Saturday. Should be a good football game. Sunbelt against the American Athletic.
Yep, there thanks for is. having right, me. Uh, well, we'll 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 talk to you again soon. Uh, th- thank you again right for now. for joining us. Once again, that was that was our interview with Dave Cohen, uh, play-by-play voice of the Georgia State Panthers basketball, baseball, football. Um, it, it was a real pleasure talking to Dave. Uh, yeah, he like like we said earlier, he took a lot of time out of his day, a lot of his time out to say, um, to talk to Pirate Nation here on the Boneyard Podcast. And I, I've got to, I've got to say, he is a friend of the podcast now for all that he did for us. Yeah, I mean, he he was definitely probably the most flexible guest that we've had because we've had so many guests come on and say, hey, look, guys, I only got a 15 or 20 or 25-minute window or, you know, I can't go over this this certain time period. And he came on and he was like, guys, I got nothing but time. So we can, you know, I understand the technical difficulties, but we can start it all. And he was the one that suggested we start the interview all over. And so <laughs> I really appreciate Dave coming on and uh, bearing, bearing with us through those technical difficulties. Yeah, we uh, we, we were having some – problems uh I, th- I think there's some problems with with dave's internet connection at first um but th- mm-hmm. then we got it all figured out um but Artie, so since we've heard dave and and what we were talking about with georgia state uh, i, I want to kind of break down how how ecu beats georgia state like like we mentioned i mean they they have that dual threat quarterback redshirt freshman cornelius brown and i i, I think that i mean we we heard about the X factors in this game, but I, I really think that if you can stop him and really put a put a stop to the RPO, which which they're going to run, they're going to run an RPO offense. Um, I, I think you have a chance at winning this game. You've got to have a spy, and I, I think as we'll hear in our, in our next in our next segment, uh, the the press conference with Coach Blake Harrell and Coach Donnie Kirkpatrick, uh, the coordinators for ECU. Coach Harrell is very familiar with the Georgia State coaching staff and knows the type of schemes that they're they're going to run. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I, I think he knows what he knows what's going to what it's going to take on a defense on the defensive side to stop Georgia State in, in that high powered offense. Uh, I mean, also, what what do you say about that spy? Well, what what I would say is. You know, we also have a high-powered offense too. I don't want to take anything away from our from our offense. They're going to have to keep up with us too. Um, but I, I will say, last week, I, I, I and, and I and I hinted on this when we when we had our wrap-up show. UCF was getting too many chances in the middle. They were getting too many crossing routes. It was too easy for them to get you know little quick five, six, seven, eight-yard you know completions, and 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 that's why I was saying they weren't getting the big play but they were still methodically moving the ball down the field. And it was just too easy for them in the middle. When you have that spy, it gets rid of that. It, 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 keeps, it keeps that middle linebacker focusing on that quarterback. It keeps him focusing on his eyes. And he's reading where he wants to go. And he takes away the middle of the field. And when you do have that spy, yes, you tend to play man-to-man coverage and you tend to give up a big play or two down the field. But it was just way too easy for UCF to move the ball methodically on us last week. And Georgia State, very similar, has, you know, weapons and they have players that can do some of the same things UCF did, not to a T. They're not going to put up 51 on us, 
but we have to be able to make them earn it, like I said, and they can't be able to have those those easy crossing routes in the middle to where they're getting five, six, seven yards of play. That's just too easy. And so, yes, I, I absolutely agree with having a spy. Also, um, I, I think turnovers. You know, we were not in charge of the turnover ratio last week. We had four turnovers. We had three fumbles and we had an interception. We can't have that this week and expect to win. It doesn't matter who we're playing. We have to be able to create a turnover or two. And then we also have to be able to protect the ball on offense. Yeah, I 100% agree. Both, and both coordinators, like I said, we're going we're gonna to throw it over to the press conference with both the offensive and defensive coordinator for the East Carolina Pirates here in a second. But, um, but I mean, both, both, cor- both coordinators, sorry, it's just past midnight here on uh, Friday morning. <laughs> you're, a little, you're a little tired, Jared, that's all. It's a little hey, tired. F- first day of work, uh, no coffee actually either. Um, hey, side note, how was your first day though? It, man, it was fantastic. Let, let the let let the people know how your first day was. My 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 first day my first day couldn't have gone any better. I got I, I gotta Good. say That's that what we my, like to hear. my first day couldn't have gone any better. Um, so I, I I'm really happy where I'm at and 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 excited for for this opportunity. But uh, getting getting back to the back to the game at hand, I think that the offense. We we saw something that we haven't seen in quite some time, and probably since the first the first part of Holden Naylor's career at ECU, mm-hmm. we saw a defense really playing man to man, really just shut down our receivers. I mean, yeah. we we saw that. That's something we haven't seen in quite some time, and. And one of the things, one of the keys to, to winning this game, I think, for ECU is you've got to get that passing game so that way you can get your running game going and then vice versa. You, you can't be one-dimensional on offense this week. You've got, you've got to continue to improve and, and move forward. Um, but but I, think, I think that's the big thing on offense. But like you said, you've got to, you, can't, you can't lose the turnover battle this week you you can't give up you can't. The ball, you can't give the ball up four times and not take it away at all and and i mean really you... go ahead i was gonna say and both coaches talk about the importance of winning that turnover battle and winning all four quarters uh, and i was about mm-hmm. to throw i was about to throw it over to to the coordinator press conferences um unless you had something else no no go ahead let's go ahead and turn it over all right so here's the press conferences from earlier in the week. Uh, I believe it was on Wednesday or Wednesday afternoon, I believe. Uh, it was Coach Blake Harrell, friend of the podcast, and Coach Donnie Kirkpatrick, offensive coordinator for your East Carolina Pirates. How's everybody doing? Good, Coach. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing All right. Good. We'll just go ahead and open up the questions for Coach Harrell. Coach, just what were some of your biggest takeaways from the opener? I know maybe not the overall performance you want, but do you feel like everybody, for the most part, operated the scheme fairly well for it being the first game? Yeah, you know, we we had uh, 25 guys that played defensively. And I think 19, and we look kind of just going through the numbers today, 19 of those guys were taking their either first college snaps or first college significant snaps where they're playing more than just – five or 10 plays. We had some guys that probably played five or 10 plays in the game last year, but never 25, 30 snaps like they played last Saturday. So 
that was huge for us. Um, you know, and for about the first 40, 45 snaps of the game, it was I was pretty proud of our guys, the way they competed and the way they played. I know we had 13 points on the board at that point. But at that point, you, they, I thought we were playing hard with, with tons of energy, tons of effort, flying around, you know, getting hits on the quarterback, didn't get a chance to sack him. But we got, we got some pressure on him, made him make some bad throws, um, you know, got some stops in the red zone, made him punt the football. So we did some good things early on. And then, you know, there's some things we obviously got to build upon and we, we got to keep improving on and keep moving in the right direction and, and hope those young guys grow up really fast. So, um, you know, certainly some positives that we can take away from it. And then certain some things like anytime you, you play game one, anytime you roll a bunch of young guys out there, you're going to have some things that, that stand out and flash out to you that, hey, we got to go build upon, we got to go improve upon and, and keep moving in the right direction and get ready for game two in Georgia State. So. That's kind of where we are, and, and um, you know, at the end of the day, UCF's a good football team, and I, it wasn't as, you know, I knew they were a top top 10, top 15 team, and I was expecting to step out there and see a huge disparity. You know, once you step out there and you get in the ball game, you're like, hey, we, we're closer to, to being, you know, if that's the best offensive team we're going to play all year, we're a lot closer than I thought. And uh, that was a positive to me, to thinking that, hey, you know, if that's the best offense in our league, and that's the best team in our league, then we're not as far, probably as far as behind as maybe I thought we were, and maybe we're closer to competing for this thing. And, and uh, hopefully we can we can show that this Saturday and get get back out there and, and um, you know, correct those mistakes that we made last Saturday and, and, and play good defensive football. Blake, how much is uh, UCF's charm in terms of their offensive prowess, uh, just the fast break and the, yeah. the, the, the speed of their resetting back up and that sort of thing? Well, they, you know, I think the, the first thing they get you on is they spread you out wide and they, they spread us out and they had a lot of speed at those positions. So that's, that, that's number one, can, can create some problems. They're, they're stretching, you know, across the field and they stretch you vertically down the field. And, and so it makes you play in a lot of space. And then uh, you're trying to get 11 hats to the ball and, and you're on your kids about, you know, pursuing the football, pursuing the football. And they're going all the way across the field to, to chase a bubble screen or a smoke screen, whatever it may be. And you look up and the receivers on the other side of the field have never moved and they're already lined back up and ready to play. Um, so, we, you know, it tires your kids out pretty quick and, and you might be playing 90 snaps as hard as you can go, but the other side of the ball, the, their offense is not. Uh, so that's one thing about it. And then as a play caller, you, you can't be thinking about the last play or who made the mistake or what, you know, what you got to get fixed right there. You just got to get the next call in as quickly as possible to get our guys set, get set up, Make sure they're in the right position um, and get ready to roll. So it's kind of it's kind of been um, just the tempo of things that kind of been a little bit different. Last week we were, hey guys, as soon as you get the call, don't worry about disguising anything. Get right into the blitz or get right into the call and get ready to run it. This week you're having to slow them down a little bit. It's like, hey, remember we're not playing UCF anymore. We're playing Georgia State. You'll have time to kind of disguise it, hold your disguise, and then hit your blitz on the run. So those type of things. So that's that's been a little bit different and just kind of you know, getting used to back, back used to playing a, a traditional offense, so to speak. Coach, it seemed like that uh, the defense was playing really well until I noticed on the clock, the 4.58 mark of the second quarter when they scored the touchdown. Uh, it seemed like after that, then there was another quick touch, another touchdown right before halftime. Yeah. Uh, that seemed like there was a momentum swing there that uh, the defense was playing so well, and I really hated it for you and the guys. Well, it, it was huge, and, and Coach has been talking about it. He calls it the middle eight. And I think, um, I don't know if it's a Belichick thing or where, where it came from. He, he brought up a, a little analytics 
uh, for our team, our football team today for a meeting. And I think if you win the middle eight, which is the last four minutes of the first half, first four, four minutes of the second half, usually win the game 75% of the time. And uh, we certainly didn't do that. And, and, you know, beyond that, and for, for us as well, you know, besides the middle eight, we always talk about when the next play, the last play is over. And I just think with a young football team right now, we're not quite mentally where we need to be. Like, we got to keep pushing our kids. Hey, something bad happens, move on. Something good happens, move on. We make a play, move on, because it's the next play that matters. We, something bad goes wrong, move on, because it's next play that matters. And that's, you know, certainly those last four minutes of the first half and first four minutes of the second half, you like to take those eight minutes away, because that's, that's about four scores pretty quickly there. And, and UCF can do that to you, and that's, that's what they do. And, and you know, if you could have played better those eight minutes, then, then maybe it's a different ball game. With Georgia State, they, they obviously like to run the ball and, and be physical, but maybe similar to, to UCF just with the balance they have with run and pass. Is that similar where you're facing a pretty balanced team where you have to kind of defend a lot of things for the second straight week? Yeah, he, he is uh, – so obviously their head coach, Sean Elliott, we got to face him when he was at South Carolina with the Citadel. And then their OC was in the Southern Conference with us. You know, I faced him, I think, five different times. And he's changed over the years. When he was in the SOCON, he was probably a little bit more pass heavy, um, probably 60-40 pass. Now we, we haven't kind of broke down more like 70-30 run. Um, and, you know, depending on the down and distance, those type of things. But, um, you know, our, our goal is still the same, stop and run first, make him throw the football, especially a young quarterback. You're talking about a redshirt freshman who started his really, his, you know, first true start last, last week or two weeks ago when they played uh, Louisiana and played really well. Um, but he's still a young guy and still, still early in his career. And I think that's the number one thing for us. And, and he's going to throw the RPO. You know, I say they're a zone read option football team that's going to throw the RPO off of it. And then on third down, going to have a drop back passing game. So um, I think the UCF, certainly having those guys first, if they do go tempo on us, we're ready for, to handle those situations. Um, the screens and, and whatnot, and it's an RPO game off of it. At least we've seen it in a live situation against opponent. So it does prepare you for other opponents, and certainly Georgia State. Coach, how do you feel like your position group, the inside linebackers in particular, played? I know you got really four guys in there for a decent amount of snaps. How do you think uh, they did? As a uh, position coach and as a coordinator, you're never satisfied. You're never happy. So that's uh, that's what I would tell those guys, and they keep pushing them. I think my expectations for those those four or five guys inside is they can be really, really good. I mean. I think we have, you know, small conference guys inside. They just got to play at an all-conference level. And, and they didn't play necessarily bad, but I think we can play a lot better. Um, and I'll keep pushing them that way. And, and I think they, they kind of feel that way too. They think they, they didn't have necessarily bad games, but they think they, their expectations for themselves are so much higher. Um, you know, I, I, I'm on them all the time about we should be the guys that, you know, have several four or five tackles for a loss a game and a sack. and you know, lead the team in tackles and run around all, all around. Now, UCF, toss the ball out wide, create some problems there where you can't, you know, your safeties have more tackles than your backers is what it is. But, um, you know, overall, I think they did a good job of getting a set early on and running the defense early on and, and bringing some pressures. You know, a, as the game went on, I didn't think we stopped the run as well. And, and you know, that, some of that could be the backers, some of it just overall and, and just what UCF does to you. We saw a few kind of all-out or almost all-out blitzes, you know, from you. Is that, uh, is that kind of a staple or a consistent thing you want to do, or is that kind of more matchup-based or what? Well, we, I think we blitzed about 60% of the time the other day. Um, we were in an odd front, I think, about 
50% of the time, even from about 50% of the time. So those pressures, you know, that's kind of what we want to be. Um, we want to be a, a go attack, go play downhill, create negative plays, um, you know, and, and we're, we're throwing the punches. You know, we're not reacting to the offense as much as they're reacting to us. Uh, now, as far as we, we had to zero out a few times, especially early in the ball game, um, they got the ball across the 50 a few times, and we just kind of – we had to go attack and, and bow up right there in a situation where they're going to take some shots. And, and UCF is kind of one of those teams where, hey, you, you better bring it if you're going to bring it just to try to get to the quarterback and make him get rid of it quick. So that was kind of the thought there. Um, not always will we zero out and bring – we were bringing seven at times. So, uh, But it, it does get home, and it's, it's a good pressure. So you might see it some. Are there any other questions for Coach Harrell? Coach, I was very impressed with the play of Sean Dorso and then also uh, Robert Kennedy on the back end. Can you talk about their performance a little bit? Yeah, th those two I've been really, really happy with, really proud of. Um, they fly around. I mean, Robert Kennedy can run. With, he can run like the UCF kids can run. So that's that's a relief back there to have him and cover some ground. And, um, you know, he, he, he really – during camp, he was a guy that had a lot of picks and a lot of interceptions, always run the ball. Uh, so I, I think his time's coming where we're going to see the ball end up in his hands. And then Sondor, so, you know, especially in some of the two-back, three-by-one formations, he's like another linebacker in there. You're getting him in the box, and you can use him on, in the blitz, and, and he can do multiple things. So it's, it's been nice to have those two guys that are new faces to our program and certainly making impacts early on. We hope they continue to do that. Okay, Coach Harrell, thank you for your time, sir. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Okay. Looking forward to Saturday. Good job, Go grab, grab Coach Kirkpatrick for you. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hello, hello. Hey, Coach, how are you? Okay, how you guys doing? Doing well, sir. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and open it up to questions for Coach Kirkpatrick. All right. Fire away. Coach, just uh, your, your thoughts on, on game one, the UCF game. It seemed like you guys were rolling early to the fumbles, and did that just kind of set things off a little bit? I think, yeah, that, that's exactly what, what got us. Uh, if you would have told me that we could rush for 244 yards and have 65 yards called back on penalties, and uh, I would have thought we'd be in the game in the fourth quarter, which was the plan. That to, to, you know, we said we, had to, we have to go the full rounds to be able to beat a team, you know, that caliber. Uh, yeah, I thought, you know, that that's what killed us was the turnovers. And, and, and I said that last week, you know, you can't sit on the ball, but you can't, you better not lose the turnover battle. They'd lost the turnover battle to Georgia Tech five to nothing. And we almost duplicated that. So that, that was a self-fulfilling prophecy there, I guess, a little bit. But uh, that, that was the most disappointing thing because, you know, we, we probably hit and do ball security stuff uh, more than anybody in the country. And so I would have thought, you know, sometimes in the first games you're worried about that because kids haven't been hit live tackling or whatever, but our guys have. So, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the first drive is a, is a scripted drive usually, you know, and, you know, that's a game plan thing that you've rehearsed quite a bit and the kids are comfortable with it. And, you know, that comes back from the old Bill Walsh days and stuff like that. And it, it, it worked good for us uh, that first drive. And there was some good individual efforts on that first drive. Houghton played unbelievably. He made a couple scrambles, made, you know, great throw here and there. We, we actually overcame a third and 20. We also, you know, had another first and 15, I think. 
and then come back. We had about a seven-yard game. We fumbled the ball, you know, and and then come back and have a first down run by Holton. He fumbles the ball, you know what I'm saying? So we just we just did not do a good job of securing the ball. And I think that was that was really what took us out of the game early because early is when we had a chance. We had a chance to maybe get a lead. And then we'd have had to, you know, with, withstand that. Late, I was proud of the kids for they, they never gave up. They wanted to keep playing, uh, you know, and so they finished it strong. But that's that's still not good enough. Coach, when you get to Tuesday and you've had some fumbles like that and that sort of thing has happened, uh, what do you do to provide more incentive for them to make sure that that doesn't happen again the following week? Well, you don't wait till Tuesday. I know Sunday there were some incentives going on. I don't know if those were positive reinforcement incentives or not. You know, there were there were some uh, some guys that stayed after the workout on Sunday and got that reinforced a little bit. How important that was. And it, it wasn't. They don't. They didn't do it on purpose. You know. So you, so it's not like that. But you, you're right. You have to you have to set a standard that you know that's not acceptable. None of the uh, none of the hits were like decapitations or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? They, they were, now they're good at that. I got to give them some credit. I will always give credit where the credit's due. They tackle the ball, they gang tackle, they put their hat on the ball. And so they did some things like that. And they were good licks, but they were, they were all ball security deals. The ball was loose on all the situations like that. And then or the interception was just a moment of blindness there, I guess. I don't know well, on first and 10 we would throw a ball like that. But that's a whole other story we'll have to get into if we had more time. But um, so we did that on Sunday. Tuesday, we amped it up a little bit. Uh, uh, normally on Wednesday, we do some ball security drills. We did them on Tuesday on the offensive side. We added a couple of them. Okay, well, a couple of them were not pretty. I mean, they were, they were ones I'm glad I was not a player. And then we did them again today on Wednesday as well and then in all our team things against uh, uh, each other it's always that way but against the scout teams we had the scout team guys really stripping the ball and thudding them and punching it and to the point of you know about a second or two past the whistle just to really really overemphasize how important it is to have those fundamentals of ball security. Donnie I'm going to uh, represent Igo and me with this question here so if uh if we, you feel free to say that we're idiots and don't know what we're talking about, but uh, noticed we both noticed on on Saturday when Aldi Amatosha came in the game. A lot of time he was going in for CJ, like an either or situation. Was that just kind of part of the the rotation pattern, or is there a way to to move them around where they could both be on the field together? You know, kind of moving forward. There is really there, uh, and it will be a, probably a little bit more obvious this week. There's really three guys for the two outside positions. Uh, with CJ and Audie and Blake Pro, and Audie really can play both sides. He's the one guy that will rotate. He'll play to the left. He'll play to the right. Uh, now we're a little banged up inside this week uh, between us with uh, Josiah. We're not sure what his uh, playing status is at this point. You know, it's still Wednesday, so we got time. But we've had to prepare and play Audie a little more and Blake a little more inside. So, you know, it's just – it's that's football. That's going to happen. We're having to do it up front on the offensive line. So, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be rolling guys in there. Uh, CJ's a, a big physical guy, and uh, he, but he does get tired. He, he gets tired. And so, we, we do try to rotate and keep him fresh a little bit. The whole plan was – I don't know, it was 80 degrees. You wouldn't have thought it was that hot a day. The humidity, somebody told me, was 90%. It felt that way in pregame. I know uh, 
all the kids were feeling the – it felt like the first game in September. It didn't feel like one of those later games, you know. Uh, it felt like a real first game. Uh, we'd had a cool week of practice, maybe a week and a half of just unbelievably low humidity. And then we had some rain, and it was zonking all the kids. So we had talked, let's make sure they got something left in the fourth quarter. I think we did. I think that part worked out. Unfortunately, we didn't play the middle eight, as Coach Houston talks about very well, which is the last four minutes of the, second, of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half, which are so important. And that's where we really got whipped. If you look at the other parts of the game, we went toe-to-toe or won some of those. You know, but with that middle eight now, we, we, we died before the half, and we did not come out of the starting blocks very good in the second half right there. But the plan was to try to keep him fresh a little bit. And he was having a physical game with their corners. I mean, it was getting, you know, a little bit out of control. He got a couple of penalties. Some of the time we took him out a little bit because of that. Going off that, Donnie, with the receiver. You're not an idiot. Neither one of you are, okay? <laughs> You know, and trust me, I know what an idiot is. I, I, I know how many people think I am one. <laughs> going, off, included one of them. going off the receivers, uh, you know, only two catches apiece for, you know, the, I guess the big three, Pro, CJ, Italian. How much of that was, you know, lack of protection up front at times versus their man coverage? Was it just a combination of everything? Well, I tell you what, they did a great job. Again, I'll brag on them. They did a great job of trying to take Snead out of the game. And we, we love to get him the ball. And I think we missed – that was the part of the offense we really missed. Like I say, we ran the ball as, as good as I would have hoped we could have. There were some other things that were, were really, really good. We couldn't get the ball to Tyler. Uh, they put their best DB, nickel guy. He, he's an unbelievable player. We knew he was that good a player. They had not played that where he matched a guy both sides of the, of the, of the formations. And they really took him out of the game a little bit. It was unfortunate. I was trying to get him the ball as many ways as I could. Didn't do a good enough job of doing that. Uh, we did have some protection issues. I thought up front we ran, we run blocked really well. I thought we really took it to him in the run game. There were great running lanes most of the time. Uh, we had a really good plan going in, or we thought, to help the tackles with uh, some chip blocks on the outside because they've got really long, fast defensive ends that will just beat you around the hoop, man. They'll just they'll just outrun you around, and we were we were chipping them uh, with that. Well, they just twisted inside and put all the rush up inside and tried to flush Holton out, and they tried to flush him to his right, uh, which away from his throwing hand, which is good strategy. Holton knows he has a tendency to go to the left way too much. We've really worked hard on that. He went right and was whipping them early with that, made a couple runs, made a, made a, a good throw to Blake. They just kept bringing it up inside. And uh, we had a lot of times when we probably had somebody open and we couldn't get the, we couldn't get the ball thrown. So we did have some protection issues that we've got to shore up a little bit this week. Coach, I know you were talking about ball security uh, being an issue, but overall, you got to be pleased with the the yardage rushing, considering the last few years East Carolina having trouble to run the football, and this is probably the deepest I've seen the running the, the running back room in a long, long time. And the kids, like with uh, Mitchell and with Harris, uh, they 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 looked really good to be that young. Yeah, I, I I am again. You don't you don't celebrate you know a twenty three point loss I guess or anything ever, but again, uh, that was a goal of ours. That was an absolute must for us to to get where we could be, 
you know, uh, able to run the football again. We had some great games last year where we flew the ball for a ton of yards. We don't feel like you're going to be able to win right now. You know, we, we've got to help the defense out a little bit, too, and it all plays hand-in-hand hand and just trying to play winning football. So, yeah, very pleased with a lot of the run game, uh, minus just putting the ball on the ground. Uh, so up front, pleased with them up front, run blocking the backs. Uh, the two freshmen continue just to make you smile. They, they both uh, prove that, that the stage is not too big for them. Now that's, you know, you know they're good players. I, I mean, you, you, you have to be somewhat of a good evaluator. You wouldn't be in the business for very long. So we knew they were good high school players. Uh, a lot of other people wanted them. You know, they, they all had accolades, you know, so we knew they were good. Then you get them here, you don't know how quickly they'll be good. Through the whole camp, the whole preseason, you know, we still like, hey, they're pretty good now. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they're as good as we thought they might be. And so you're, you're, you're kind of grinning, but you still don't know how they're going to react to real college football. And then the schedule getting so much change. Oh, my God, we're starting with Central Florida. Okay, well, let's don't put too much on all these freshmen out here, you know, and, and we had more than just those two. And so uh, we found out, though, that the stage was not too big for them. I don't think it would have mattered, you know, where they played, who they played. They're pretty darn good. They, they just have some real instincts that, that are not probably not really coachable, that they just kind of understand how to set blocks up and they know how to kind of go slow to and fast through. And, and, and the, the holes just seem to find them. They just block a little better when they're in there sometimes. So we're, we're really, really excited for them. Now, hey, every, every week's a new week. You know, we tell them that, you know what I'm saying? And there are no easy games in college, you know what I'm saying? In high school, you got a couple of those, you know, sometimes you don't have to worry about them. There are no easy ones on our schedule. Anyhow, I mean, Georgia State, probably people probably think that's our easy game this year. And this is a team that went to a bowl game last year. So, you know, they're pretty good. How is Darius holding up this week? Well, Darius has had a tough week, and uh, I don't—I'm assuming everyone knows that his father passed away on Sunday, and he was a young man that was very close to his father. Uh, I mean, I think literally they spoke every morning the first thing before he went to class or did anything, or before the dad went and did anything. They—they they, they always spoke. So it was—he uh, he has had some some illness. But it was very unexpected. So on Sunday, that was a boy as a knee buckler, and uh, he has he is he's really struggled. I mean, you know, mentally. Uh, luckily, he's got some really good friends on the team, uh, especially the guys in that running back room. They've all rallied around him and supported him all through the staff, Coach Houston. Everybody loves Darius, and so they're there. But you know, as I told him, I, I can't even imagine you know what you're feeling right now. Uh, so it's been a tough week, and I don't, I don't know. Right now with Darius, uh, football is just really not anything we're even thinking about with him. We're just trying to hope that he's okay, you know, with all the other things. Things are more important. Coach, kind of a two-part question. Do you uh, expect Darius to play this weekend? And also, uh, maybe you can give your uh, keys to victory offensively uh, when you take on Georgia State. Well, I, he says he wants to play, and I think it's uh, – a deal where uh, he thinks that's what his dad would want him to do, you know, and, and so that's his decision. You know, he and Coach Houston have visited with about that part about it a lot more than, than I have with him. So uh, as of right now, he has practiced, and he's practiced hard. And, I mean, he's practiced well. 
but you can just see it in his eyes. You can just see it in his body language that he's hurting. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that all plays. You know, it could be one of those inspirational deals, you know what I'm saying, Brett Favre type like moment, you know, that we all know about. But but we're not we're not expecting that, you know. Uh, keys to winning the game will be obviously starting with the with the ball the turnover map. You know what I'm saying? We we've got to solve that issue uh, immediately, uh, or we'll have no chance with anybody we play. We can't give them four you know extra possessions when we don't get any of those back. So I think that'll really be a key there to it. So uh, I think the middle eight that Coach Houston's been talking about has been the point of emphasis this week, which is the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. Uh, we've got to find a way to play better in that little stretch. And it's amazing. He he showed the team today a deal. I think it kind of maybe came from Bill Belichick or something. They'd done a study. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it's about 76% uh, of the time you win the game, if you win that that middle eight, so that's going to be something we're going to really emphasize this week uh, as well. And then we're going to have to uh, keep the defense off the field. I'm saying we got to we got to score points, but we got to keep them off the field. Coach, tell us what you can about Georgia State's defensive scheme and personnel. All right, Georgia State is uh, very very similar, really, to what our defense does in alignment. Uh, type deal. They're a three-four. Uh, we're a little bit more of a four-three-three-four. They're they're the three-four version of that. Uh, it's a slant and angle defense, which means they're always moving up front. Uh, they play way back off the ball. If you if you really watch football and you and you don't just watch the ball, uh, you know what I'm saying. Uh, and you really watch the game, you'll notice most defensive lines are right up on the football, as close to the football as they can get. They want to get that that quick start. Their D-line is literally a, a yard off the ball. This is, man, it's like 20 years ago type deal. I know when I coached the defensive ends in Appalachian State back in the late 80s, uh, this is the way you played. It was more of a read front, and everybody was slanting angling uh, as well. And our defense does a lot of that too, but they're up on the ball. So uh, it just causes havoc, though. There's so many twists. There's so many different linebacker blitzes. Some are really blitzes. Some of them are just – Many different ways to bring four guys and five guys, so it's uh, it's a, it, it confuses you. It, it gets you to play kind of a ugly game. We say a little bit. You can't get rhythm. You'll get big plays because you'll catch them in a movement, but then they'll catch you. And so you know you have to be careful about having a lot of lost yardage plays, and they play really really hard. The one thing we put the tape on Sunday, and everybody plays hard at this level. But, I mean, they play extremely hard to the next level. You turn the tape on Sunday, and we were like, wow. Okay, now, they've got the, they got the good culture there. Sean Elliott, who I know from Appalachian days, he's an offensive line guy. He's a very passionate, very excitable kind of coach. And he's got them playing really, really hard. And they play very, very physical. Uh, they're up front, they're, they're really good. Our, our offensive line knows they're in for a huge challenge this week. And the linebackers really run well, and the safety support the run extremely hard. So they're a, they're a hard-nosed physical team that uh, causes a lot of confusion. Okay, one more question for Coach. Okay, Donnie, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Have a good one. Good.
once again, that was, that was the press conference with the coordinators for East Carolina University as they uh, talk about how they're preparing for the matchup with the Georgia State Panthers in Atlanta this weekend. Um, Ari, I, I, I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about the, uh, the, the depth chart at ECU. There, there was some, uh, still some notable, um, notable people left off the, this depth chart, and, and I'm starting to wonder what's going on. Um, biggest one to me is Demetrius Mooney. I, I'm not sure. I haven't, I haven't heard anything in, uh, in the press conferences about Demetrius Mooney. Um, Right. That, that I mean, coming into the season, he was your he was your number one running back. Um, coming into the season, right now he he's probably looking at. I, I don't know if he's opted out. I, I haven't heard of anybody opting out at ECU. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to throw rumors around or anything, but it's strange that he's he's not in in the running back room or in the mix. Now, now, do we know if he was healthy or not? Like, was he healthy he, leading into the season? Now, he was nursing an injury, but okay. after talking a couple weeks ago with Coach Houston, I mean, it sounded like he was on his way back. Maybe he had a setback, right. but, I mean, up until last week, right before kickoff, I mean, everybody thought Demetrius Mooney was going to be the running back for ECU um, mm. in, in week one. The other one that the, the other one that's kind of got me uh, kind of questioning what's going on is Brian Gag. Um, he, I mean, he's a I believe junior quarterback out of Florida. Everybody thought he was the number two. He was the number two right. last year, um, but right now he's he's not even listed on the depth chart. He's not even listed in the top three. It goes Hone Aylers, then Mason Garcia, or Alex Flint. And Alex Flint being the redshirt freshman. Um, and being the third string last year, I, I, I'm I'm kind of shocked at, uh, 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 at how this depth chart is playing out. I'm, I'm not I'm not questioning Coach Houston or co- questioning the coaching staff, but I'm I'm kind of wondering where are these guys? Yeah, I, I, I will say um, you know Demetrius Demetrius Mooney that really concerns me. Um, because like you said, he was the number one running back coming into the season. Um, where he's at, what's going on? Has he opted out? Is he still nursing an injury? Is something personal going on? We don't know. It's all speculation. It's all up in the air. That really concerns me. Um, but from the quarterback position, I got to be honest with you, Jared. I care about Holton. I care about Mason. Everybody after that can get in where you fit in. So <laughs> that's just, that's just kind of how I feel about the quarterback situation. So I think we're okay there. Yeah, and then I will say uh, next on on the on the when you're looking at, at the running backs, I, I'm surprised to see Darius Penix. Uh, he, he he's listed as the number one along with Chase Hayden. Uh, they, they're mm-hmm. they're an or um, Darius Penix. For those of you that don't know, um, lost his father last weekend um, unexpectedly. So I, I just wanted to. Take take a second. We we tweeted at him. He 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 responded, 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 responded to vocalize the uh, the sorry, my the audio cut out. Yes, I get you. You it sputtered there for a second. What what was the last thing you heard? 
um, Darius Penix, and then you wanted you were about to go into giving your condolences. Okay. So yeah, we we, we want to give our condolences to uh, Darius Penix, his family. Um, and anytime you lose a loved one, especially when it's unexpected, um, that that that's always tough. Um, but yeah, Darius, Park Nation is behind you. I don't. I doubt you listen to the Boneyard podcast. You've got so much go- else going on in your life, but um, just know that that we're, we're we care about you. If you ever need anybody to talk to, our DMs are open. Hit us up. Um, I think we've chatted a little bit before, but uh, but yeah, we we're we're, we're thinking about you, man. Uh, the one thing that sorry. My my audio keeps cutting in and out already, um, but um, but that that's the one thing. Um, prayers to Darius, and I I did see that he was changing his number, um, from number seven mm-hmm. to number forty in honor of his father. Um, Darius Darius has had a hard time lately, um, and Coach Coach Houston has talked a little bit about it. He lost his mentor. He, so Darius is from near where Artie and I are from. He, he's from Burlington, North Carolina. And he lost yep. he lost one of his high school coaches uh, just just a couple months ago, and and now he's lost his father. So um, he, he's lost two mentors, two two important men in his life, and uh, he, he's still gonna he's still gonna put on the uh, white uniforms and and the purple helmet on on Saturday and, and suit up and play in honor uh, in honor of those two guys. So um, Darius, we're, we're still thinking about you, um, but yeah, that that. That's really all I've got on the depth chart. Um, nothing else has really changed. Um, so, Arnie, let's uh, let's send it over to our press conference with Mike Houston. Um, he talked he talked to the media on Wednesday to prepare for the ECU Georgia State game. Let's do it. We'll let you go. All right. Um, well, you know. Uh, in the middle of another uh, game week. So, uh, you know, well into preparations for um, Georgia State. Uh, obviously disappointing uh, not being able to get the win last Saturday against uh, UCF in our home opener and conference opener. Uh, but, you know, very impressed with, uh, you know, with UCF and just, uh, you know, I, just, I think that we all knew good football team coming into the game. Um, I think maybe a better team than what they had last year. And I say that because, you know, obviously everybody knows about their offense, uh, the numbers they put up there, but uh, I think they are improved defensively over what they were a year ago, especially in the secondary. Um, but uh, just a very solid football team. Uh, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, our guys were ready to play, really felt good about our preparations coming into the game, felt good about where they were Friday night, Saturday morning, excited to play, ready to play. Came out, started the game off obviously very well. Uh, opening drive, take it down, score, go up seven nothing. Uh, you know, defense get, did give up a scoring drive. Um, you know, to UCF on their opening drive as well, but then really settled down and played pretty solid for the bulk of the first half. And uh, you know, I've talked about it. You know, numerous interviews. Just you know, said going to the ball game. You know, got a ball security is going to be big. Turnovers going to be big. The three turnovers in the first half. Uh, defense did a great job of holding them to only a field goal off those three turnovers. But, you know, the culmination, uh, I do think, took its toll towards the end of the half, did not finish the half very well, giving up a couple of scores there. 
uh, quickly in the closing minutes of the first half. Uh, came out, they scored in their opening drive of the second. Um, and really, we, you know, we struggled to get back into the game after that. Um, a lot of bright spots, uh, a lot of guys playing their first game uh, as a Pirate, um, a lot of guys playing their first college football game ever. Uh, so, you know, lots of positives to come out of it. Um, you know, a lot of things to correct, a lot to work on. Um, but, uh, you know, still, you know, first game uh, under our belt, it's good to finally be playing football again. So challenging game this week. Uh, Georgia State, uh, very, very impressive on film. Um, you know, I've known Sean Elliott for a long time, uh, going all the way back to when he was an assistant coach at Appalachian and I was an assistant coach at Lenore Ryan. Uh, and our paths have crossed numerous times over the years. Uh, so knowing him and kind of his personality, when I flip on the film, you know, I see a team that looks like a team that's in, you know, the coach has been there for a while, been able to build the roster. Uh, I think they play kind of, you know, his, his style, uh, very, very physical up front on the offensive line, very physical up front, uh, defensive line, linebackers, uh, very aggressive defensively, um, you know, tall, rangy, very athletic quarterback. Um, you know, Brad Glenn, the OC, was also an Appalachian State guy. He was at Western Carolina when I was at the Citadel. So, uh, you know, they have the style of, you know, stand-up athletes there on offense that Brad likes dual threat quarterback, going to give us a lot of problems in the run game and the pass game. Uh, Coates is a, a very talented running back, older kid, runs with some power, has speed. Um, I really thought that, you know, they worked Louisiana Lafayette over pretty good for about three and a half quarters. And, you know, Lafayette broke a couple of long plays in the fourth to send it to overtime, was able to win it in overtime. But uh, I promise you that's one that they, you know, could kick themselves, you know, feel like they let one get away right there. So talented opponent. Uh, on the road, going to be a great challenge. Uh, you know, be a great test for our for our squad, and uh, I look forward to us having a good week of practice and being ready to play on Saturday. Okay, we'll open it up to questions for Coach Houston now. Coach, you mentioned their dual threat quarterback. I think he had 15 attempts in the last game. Can you kind of compare getting ready for that as opposed to UCF? And, and will you use Taji Hudson at all on the scout team? <laughs> You know, it's funny you say that because, you know, as we, were, we were talking Sunday night and I was like, you know what he looks like? He looks like Taji in a couple of years if you played him at quarterback, um, you know, because of the athleticism, because of, uh, you know, the, the ability to throw it and run it um, and, and the size. So um, obviously a drastically different, uh, you know, offensive scheme than what we saw last week. Um, different quarterback than what we saw last week. I do think that, you know, the combination of, you know, Taji and Ryan, you know, will be able to, you know, get us ready for the game. Uh, so I do feel good about our ability to give our defense a scout look. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a deal where he's, you know, he's a talented athlete, just like, just like Taji. So a lot of similarities. Coach, you, uh, your team seemed to be confident on Saturday. You lost some turnovers. You look like you generated more turnovers than you were given. And it looks to me like you, you've got a confident ball club um, talk about how little it would take for them to really begin to believe that they're going to win ball games on a weekly basis at this point. Well, I think it's, you know, going out and, you know, you look up and it's five and a half minutes to go in the half and it was, um, 13, seven, you know, it was 10, seven, so much in the first half, you know, if you could have had, 
you know, if he could have, you know, avoided those turnovers, if he could have gotten to the half uh, like that, it would have done so much for confidence going into the half. You know, when we watched the game uh, with the players, um, you know, I watched it with the linebackers and Coach Harrell Sunday afternoon, and, you know, we had enough time to get to about that point before practice. And we cut it off, and I was like, you know, the last shot was a scoreboard. I was like, what do you think? And, and Xavier was just like, you know, it, it didn't it didn't feel like we were that close and you're a one score game right there so i do think getting over that confidence piece is a big factor uh you know for our older guys for our younger guys it's getting the experience so i just think having some positive um results you know game in game out you know series in series out uh you know having us be able to put it together hopefully for a win uh, you know, where you win a tight game and ha and make plays down the stretch. I think all those things are critical to the development of our team. Coach, when you did look at that film, I'm just wondering maybe what the ratio or kind of feelings of, did you have guys in the right spots and, and, and you know, guys were there and UCF just made plays or were there, there busts? You know, what was that kind of like when you watched the film and broke it down? Yeah, I think, I think there was a little bit of both. Um, you know, you had you had the plays like um, Jaquan McMillan down the down the left sideline on number six. Uh, great coverage, or excuse me, it was on uh, number one, the the kid from Oklahoma. Great coverage, uh, jump ball. You know, Jaquan goes between the hands and has it. You know, look like he, I was expecting the ball to come out. Kid makes a great catch. You know, so that's one of those things where you know Jaquan played it well. You know, Coach Ellis is going to give him one or two small things he could do to play it better, but that's pretty good coverage. You know, so that's a situation right there where, hey, great throw and catch, congratulations, move on. Um, you know, the touchdown when it's 13-7, uh, they're going really, really fast. Um, you know, we're not quite set. They're not set. Snap the ball, touchdown right there where the safety gets beat. You know, our safety just, you know, he was not in the right coverage. Um, you know, so you had, you had a little bit of both. Coach, given Georgia State's confusion with the COVID tests, what has your message been to your team this week? And what was your message to, to your team right when you guys found out that there was some confusion with those tests and it was just a false alarm? Well, I, I, I told our team Sunday, you know, I'd gotten word Saturday night. Um, I couldn't tell you guys yet, but uh, you know I was pretty sure that was coming. And so I told our team Sunday I expected us to play the game this week. Um, any of that whole deal, I mean, I, you feel for the players. You feel for those players there that, you know, they lost a game uh, and what they went through right there. Thank goodness they got it corrected. Um, you know, I've got a couple of guys in that situation. And it's just, you feel for them when you have, you know, it's hard enough going through this protocol and these procedures um, and, and following everything the way we with the way we do it, and then when there's hiccups, and and you have stuff like that happen, it just boy, it really, it, it's it's tough mentally in those kids, and those are the ones I feel for. Mike, I know the among the projected starters against UCF, Chris Willis, it seemed like was the only one who who wasn't active or doesn't or didn't play, and he's back on the depth chart this week. Do you have an update with him at all? Could he play this week, or do you think he'll still be out, or um, any update with him? We're hoping. So, I think I think good chance. We'll see. 
Coach, going off that, the, the young defensive line, when you went back and reviewed the film, yeah. uh, how much did you, did you like their uh, the way they competed out there? Well, I mean, I think, you know, so many of them are playing first college snaps ever. Um, I mean, even I called D'Angelo McKinney a veteran. You know, he played his first defensive snaps of his career Saturday. Um, I, the th here's the things I liked. Um, we had very, very few loafs. I mean, we track loafs. Uh, we have up downs for loafs on Sunday. Um, and I mean, we, we expect ma maximum effort and we had just minimal loafs on our defensive front Saturday. That's, that is huge because those are the kids usually that you have some problems with because they're big guys, you know, teaching them to play hard. So I think that's a plus. Um, I think you had guys like Xavier MacGyver. I mean, he showed that he has the physical power and presence to hold up interiorly against a very good offensive line. So I think that was, that was positive. Um, you know, some of the negatives, you know, just adjusting to the speed of the game, um, you know, adjusting to, you know, especially that tempo situation, you know, being able to execute the call at a high level. Uh, you had some issues there. I think that'll improve with every snap those players take. You know, Kareem Stinson was playing three technique on Thursday, and he played five technique on Saturday. You know, his first snaps, you know, working there came Friday afternoon in the walkthrough. So for him to go out and play 20 snaps, uh, have one loaf, uh, and, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I, I, that's, that's positive. It's got to be positive. Anybody that has not played – in the trenches there just does not understand what it takes to compete down in there. So I come out pleased with the way they played Saturday. On the offensive side of the ball and young guys, obviously in the backfield there, do, do you shake anything up at all? Did Keaton Mitchell earn some, some extra carries or do you kind of still just see who has the, the hot hand this time? Well, I think anybody that watched the game sees that Raji Harris and Keaton Mitchell belong. Uh, everybody understands why we've been so excited about him. I hate Raji had the long touchdown and run called back with a penalty because, you know, first college touchdown, uh, you know, you, all, you always remember those moments. So, uh, you know, I think that both of them are going to be in the mix this week. I think that, uh, you know, we'll see how practice goes this week, but you're going to see both of them on Saturday. Coach, can you uh, talk about Darius Penix and his situation uh, coming into this week overall? You know, just really, you know, feel for him and his family. Um, you know, I told him it's been a year and a week or so since my father passed. Uh, I'm 48 years old. You know, he's, you know, 21 years old. You, you shouldn't, you know, you hate seeing someone go through the loss of a parent like that at that age. And he's doing okay. Um, you know, I've been in con contact with him constantly. He is back here with us right now. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're going to try to support him uh, and just be there for him and just take care of him, you know, as a human being uh, with anything and everything that we can possibly do this week and in and, and the weeks to come. I mean, that's the, that's the other thing is, you know, everybody, you know, kind of checks in on you when something like that happens. But two or three weeks down the roads when, you know, Sometimes that sets in, but you know he certainly had lost a mentor of his uh, late this summer, and then to lose his father this past weekend, um, he's had a rough couple of months. So um, you know we're all praying, praying for he and his family, and just trying to do everything we can to support him. Uh, you know, right now through this time. 
Coach, we talked about the receivers after the game. And when you went back and watched the film, were they getting separation? Was it UCF just guarding tightly? Was it a combination of things? Well, I mean, I think that UCF obviously had, um, you know, kind of a game plan for CJ coming in, coming into the game, um, you know, and, and, and doing some over-under stuff on him. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, now 31, they're nickel. He's a pretty special player. Um, that was that was a very impressive performance in the way he was able to handle Tyler uh, in the slot right there. And I think that uh, that's why I said I'm, I'm impressed with uh, them defensively um, because in the secondary, you know, I, th- I thought they were much improved. And I thought they did a really good job of, uh, you know, playing our guys Saturday. You know, we did have some issues getting some separation. Um, but Audie, you know, it's good to see him get a couple of big plays there in the passing game. Shane Calhoun, first college catch. Uh, but, you know, certainly we, you know, we struggled a little bit there getting open Saturday. After the game, Holton uh, kind of referenced just getting to the game. You know, you had so much doubt in the offseason, that type of thing. When you right. go from week one to week two now, I mean, do you think they – over the weekend, we're able to at least breathe and, hey, I felt what a game felt like again. And, you know, it can kind of get rid of some of the stuff you've dealt with a little bit. I'm sure. I mean, at least, hey, we played, you know, we, we played. And that's for much of the summer, we wondered if we were going to. And uh, so to be able to, uh, you know, go out there and be able to, you know, play a game in a stadium, you had it had the feel of a college football game. Obviously, you know, challenging opponent, but uh, exciting to get out there and be able to play that one. And, uh, you know, now we get ready, you know, once, once it starts now, that's one thing about the season. Once it starts now, it is, you know, a whirlwind because Saturday goes straight into Sunday, Sunday goes straight into Monday, Monday straight into Tuesday. It doesn't stop. You're going to blink and we're going to be on a plane Friday afternoon heading to Atlanta. So, um, you know, it's, I do think that now just kind of getting into the flow and into the rhythm is important. Are there any other questions for Coach Houston? Okay, Coach, thank you very much. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Artie. Uh, that, that, was, that was Mike Houston's press conference for uh, for this week's preview of the game. Um, but, uh, Artie, we got, we got a segment to do um, before, we, before we start wrapping this thing up. Uh, yes, sir. It's called Walk the Plank. I don't, I don't know if you remember it. I don't know if you know how to do it real real quick. Um, I'm yeah, gonna I've, you, I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, my, uh, my Walk the Plank actually came within the last few hours. This is a very personal Walk the Plank. It's very near and dear to my heart. Um, a few months ago, I predicted that my Chicago White Sox would finish the series or finish the season. At 41 and 19, I believe we finished 36 and 24, or 36 and nowhere, 25. I'm not too sure. Nowhere near 41 and 19. It was close. It was five games off. All right, we, we were five games off. Okay, it wasn't that bad. You're I also, will say you're though, also playing the Central. Uh, sadly, my Chicago White Sox lost a good game, six to four to the Oakland A's. They lost the uh, the wild card series today, two to one. Um, and so I'd like to send my condolences and, and, and all that jazz to my Chicago White Sox, my Southside Bombers, 
They are sadly going back to the South side and they're not even going to the divisional series. But I will say this in good spirit. I am rooting for the Atlanta Braves. I hope the Atlanta Braves win a chip this year or this year. Fucking go. I don't want anybody else to win. If it can't be my South side Sox, let's go Braves. Do the tomahawk chop. Chop on. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. So that, that that's a that's a great segue into my walk the plank. My walk the plank is uh is it was gonna be an Atlanta team uh in back to back weeks, but it's not now because uh my my walk the plank is the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, so the Cincinnati Reds, um, there, there's some other baseball podcasts that I listened to that were predicting that the Reds would win in two games. Um, yeah, Trevor Trevor Bauer was taking in the fifth to y'all, wasn't he? Yeah, Tre- Trevor Bauer, like, I, I'd love him. I would love him with a tomahawk across his chest. But uh, he, he, does, he needs to learn how to pipe down every once in a while. Now, he pitched a hell of a game. Like, he yes, – he he, he pitched a hell of a game, and so, so did Max Freed on uh, on on Wednesday. Um, that game, that oh my gosh, my heart was pounding out of my chest. Thirteen innings. <laughs> MV, I know. MV Free uh, walks it off in the in the bottom of the thirteenth. Um, your your future NL MVP for this year, Freddie Freeman, walks it off. Um, Braves win one nothing in the thirteenth. Well, that's not that's not the reason I'm I'm going against the Cincinnati Reds. They played a hell of a game yesterday. They played a decent game today. But how in the world does a team – so this could be against MLB and Cincinnati. How in the world does a team not score a single run in 22 innings of baseball against a guy – one of those pitchers was a rookie. The one that pitched today was a rookie. The other one had pitched more than six innings in the last three and a half weeks. The starters. Well, well, I will say Cincinnati was not a good hitting team during the season. They were a good home run team. They beat you with their home runs, not their not their batting average or their hitting. And, and it just goes to show that the exp- – uh, look look here. I, I, I don't mind the expanded playoffs as much, but I still, I'm still not a huge fan, to be honest. I'm just not. Not a huge fan of the expanded playoffs because you've got teams like a Milwaukee that's in there. You've got teams that are under 500, like uh, I mean, you had like the Astros that are in there. I believe they're under 500. How, yeah. how in the how in the world are you having under 500 baseball teams in the playoffs? Cincinnati, I'm sorry. Any other year, you wouldn't have been there. I'm sorry. You're you're just sol. Um, <laughs> but y'all can y'all can uh, leave Trevor Bauer in Atlanta. And take your asses back up. Uh, it's about a six-hour drive from Atlanta to Cincinnati. Artie, you you will know a little bit of trivia. You will know mm-hmm. a little bit of trivia. Do you know what? Do you know what baseball city? So another major league baseball team. Do you know what the closest city is to Atlanta? Um, as far as far as major league baseball cities. Um, either Houston or Miami, right? Houston or Miami. Whoa. Do you do you even own a map? <laughs> I don't I don't know, man. What is, what is my, it? My, Miami is a good Miami is a good guess. The closest city is Cincinnati. The Braves honestly, the Braves honestly should be in the NL Central. Um, is that is that I I don't I don't believe that's only six hours away. 
I don't believe that. Here, you, you, you do some talking around in circles while, while I do a quick Google search on Google Maps. <laughs> like Cincinnati is Lake Erie, right? Isn't that, isn't that near Lake Erie or some, Or is that South Ohio? I think that's South Ohio, actually. All I right. think Cincinnati might be South Ohio. Great American Ballpark. Yep. That, because, I mean, we're – and if the people don't know this, we will be in Hotlanta this weekend for the game. And that takes about four and a half hours from where we are. Yeah, but people don't realize how, how fur, further west, how far west Atlanta is. So, I just – I don't I don't see it. It's almost seven. It's six hours and 50 minutes. But that's the closest that's state. That's seven in, hours. That's seven hours. Yeah, but that, that's still the closest city as far as, ba- as, far as Major League Baseball goes mm-hmm. that the, the Braves are close to. Um, you're actually closer or they're actually almost right in line with Cincinnati if you were to draw a line straight up and down, it's almost straight. It's almost straight down. But you have you have the Braves, who I mean, who were formerly in the NL West of all of all divisions, now in the NL East when they should really be in the NL Central. You should probably move. You should probably move the Pittsburgh Pirates over into the NL East. Um, it, it it's just one of those quirky things, but uh, it, it is true. Um, Atlanta is so far west that it, it doesn't even make it doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, because you can literally you drive up through Chattanooga, hit Knoxville, go through Lexington, Tennessee, um, and then you you you're right there in Cincinnati, just across the border. Cincinnati's uh, southwest Ohio, and and Atlanta's about north. Uh, it's kind of northwest Georgia. Um, yeah, kind of in the middle, but more towards. It's, it's close to right in the middle of Georgia, though. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it, it's the closest. Like looking at it, if you if you were to go to like, let's say, if you were to go to National Stadium or whatever they're called up there in that crappy city. Um, hey, we like Washington D.C., man. Uh, I don't really care. Um, we yes. like the swamp. Washington, I don't, I don't even know. Y'all, y'all, y'all probably already turned it off, but you, you want to hear the last part um, of, of this Nationals Park. So the drive from Atlanta to Nationals Park, <laughs> it's nine and a half hours. And here's, and here's geography with Jerry Chaffin. <laughs> it, makes, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. So MLB walked the plank for also getting the divisions wrong. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, I, I I digress. But Artie, let's uh let's let's start wrapping this thing up. I know I know we've been talking for longer than what we were, what we said we were. We said we we're gonna get in, get out, and and go go to bed. Um, we always go longer than what, what we what we say we will. Hey, that's how, that's how we keep the people happy. You got to keep them satisfied, if you know what I mean. Um, Absolutely. So. Looking at some betting lines for this week, uh, this weekend in college football, I'm going to put on uh, my best Lee Corso hat. Um, how, how about this? Artie, Virginia Tech is a 12.5-point favorite at Duke. The over-under is 54 points. Um, 
what say you? Uh, give me the under. I don't think they get to 54. I think I think Virginia Tech scores about 28 to 31. I just don't think Duke scores that much. I so, think Duke scores maybe 10. So Duke's not a good football team. I I would I would agree with you. Take Virginia Tech to cover that 12 and a half point spread, and then take the under. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Duke score three points. Yeah, honestly, they're, they're not a good football team this year. And here, here's a hot take. I wouldn't be surprised if this is uh, Dave Cutcliffe's last season at the helm of the Duke Blues. Well, look, Dave, Dave Cutcliffe should be a quarterback coach in the NFL, all right? He's, he's too good of a quarterback guru to try to fucking get together eight or nine wins at Duke. Go be a quarterback coach in the NFL. He could go, uh, he could go join Scotty Montgomery at Maryland. Um, no, no, he's, no, he's better than that. Uh, all right, next game. Texas, this this is an intriguing one. Texas yeah. Tech at Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Kansas State is the Ooh. team. That, they beat Oklahoma last week after, uh. after losing to Arkansas State, who also lost to Memphis. So, once again, that's uh, just going to show that the power six is a real thing. But, um, right. yeah, Texas Tech is a two-and-a-half-point dog to Kansas State at, on the road uh, at Kansas State, the over under is sixty four. I, I, I think the over hits, but uh, let me let me let me let me let me tell you right now, they are going to hit the over. Texas Tech Texas Tech is going to get fifty by themselves. They're getting the over. That's going to happen, and this could very well be the game of the week because Kansas State is. I mean, I don't I don't know why they're a two point favorite. I guess because they beat Oklahoma, but I'm not that impressed by Oklahoma. Texas Tech is a team that probably should have beat Texas last week, and they scored damn near sixty. This is this is this is going to kill the over. The, yes, take the over. Yeah, take the over, and uh, yeah, I think I think Texas Tech wins, and Oklahoma once again plummets uh, a little bit further in the rankings because their strength of schedule at the end of it, the big the Big Twelve is going to be uh, the Big Twelve is going to be. I don't want to say they're going to be. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, Texas is going to win the Big 12, not Oklahoma. Well, Oklahoma's – I mean, Oklahoma's 18th in the country right now. It, they shouldn't after after losing to Kansas State. Um, but, when I'm, but, but Oklahoma's had Texas number the last few years. So, I think Texas – this is the year they get over the hump. They go undefeated in conference play. All right, all right. So, we uh, – the next game up is, is going to be the second biggest game happening in Georgia on Saturday. Uh it's number seven Auburn on the road in Athens <laughs> against the <laughs> University of Georgia. This this is going to be a game, a good game. I think this is the, I think this is the prime time game of the week. I believe this is the seven p.m. game on ABC. Uh, U, UGA Uga is six and a half a six and a half point favorite against Auburn, um, and, and the over under is 44 and a half. Already, I think. I think Auburn covers, man. I think this is going to be a much closer game. I think this is going to be a very close game. I think this is going to be won by a field goal. Oh, there's, look, there's there's no doubt. If, if you've paid attention to Auburn the last few years, you know that they don't get blown out by anybody. Nobody blows out Auburn. So this game is going to be close. Um, take the – yeah, I, I would say take the cover. What's, what was the over again? 44 and a half. Yeah, I, I, would, I would take the over too. Both of these teams are going to get over 44 and a half. Um, 
And and, and honestly, I, I appreciate you saying the second biggest game in Georgia. I really do appreciate you putting that out there. I, I really wish that was. <laughs> but this is going to be the most watched game of the weekend. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe after the ECU-Georgia State game, you and I can take a – it's about an hour and a half trip out to – talking about geography some more. It's about an hour and a half to trip Athens. to Athens. And uh, <laughs> see if we can finagle our way into, into, into a college football game. Um, that would be fun. Now, the game of the week is the East Carolina Pirates. They're on the road at Georgia State. They're a they're actually a one and a half point dog, Artie. This is this is gonna be a push game. This is a this is a pickle game. This That's is, such disrespect. I mean, yeah, this is disrespect. I and the over under is I mean it's a nice over under. It's sixty nine. Okay. So look, so. these are these are these are two very high-powered offenses. Um, and I, I don't, I don't trust either defense. I don't trust either defense. Yeah, I, 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 I have to, I have to. Even though I don't want to, I have to say take the over, just oh, because yeah. I do not trust the defenses. If I trusted them a little bit more, I'd say this be, this would be more of a dogfight. Um, but I do think this might turn into a shootout late. I think it'll be a dogfight early, but a shootout late. Going into the fourth quarter, I could see these two teams battling and scrapping. But I will say this. If C.J. Johnson, Tyler Sneed, Blake Pro, Darius Penix, Holton, if, if, if they Audio really want to show up, if, if, if they really want to show up and, and put on a show, this game's not going to be close. So that's just how I feel. Yeah. I, I, I think last week we, we did a – pick with our heart and with our head this this week i'm just going to take a pick with my head i, I think ec beat beats georgia state um i i think they just they as we heard in the interview with, with dave cohen ecu even though they are young they still have they just have more experience um and and they're more cohesive as as a group um right i, I, I gotta think ecu beats georgia state um and, and i yeah take take the over um, I, I think ECU beats them by a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's just no excuse for losing this game. That's, that's all I'll say. You know, th- this, this is a game that we have to have. This is a game that we need for confidence to build upon. There's no excuse for losing this one. We cannot play light. We cannot play, um, you know, under our competition. Georgia State's going to show up and play. They're at home. They're playing in Hot Atlanta. They're going to show up. And they're going to play well. They're going to be confident. But the same for us. We got to come into this game and want to beat them and beat them by a lot. That's that's the mindset we got to have. Yeah, and and I think there there's going to be fans at the game this weekend. I I think you'll have, um, I, I think people will be pleasantly surprised. I think there'll be more purple and gold than blue in, in the stadium this weekend in Atlanta. I hope so. Uh, I think so. So we'll be in section 108, I believe, row 23, seats 18 and 19. Come check us out. If you uh, if you see us walking around the, the concourse, um, come, come say hey to us. Uh, if you're if you're gonna be there, hit hit our DMs. Uh, we're, we're looking for a place to tailgate probably for a little bit. Absolutely. We'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll bring a six pack or something. Um, we'll we'll, we'll, have, <laughs> we'll we'll have a good time. We'll socially distance, but we'll we'll uh, we'll come tailgate with some uh, some other pirates. So yeah, hit hit our DMs. Let us know where you're at, where you're gonna be, um, and and yeah, Artie. Um, that, that's really all I've got to say. Um, it's 1230 on Friday morning. 
Um, Go get some sleep, Jared. You got work in the morning, brother. You, you, Go get some sleep. You damn, you damn right, Artie. I'll, uh... All right, Pine Nation. Uh, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk to you Saturday after EC Dub. Love you, Pine Nation. Stay safe. We out. Peace.